Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. As a church, we try to make really clear who we're celebrating and why we're celebrating. The church, though, if we're not careful, uh, we can be really unclear sometimes. Um, I have this little file, uh, this printed out uh, file of uh, church bulletins announcements gone wrong. <laughs> because sometimes the church can be really unclear. For instance, this, and these are actually printed in bulletins, not in ours necessarily, but in bulletins. The senior choir invites any member of the congregation who enjoys sinning to join the church. Uh, so-and-so remains in the hospital and needs blood donors for more transfusions. She's also having trouble sleeping and requests tapes of pastor's sermons. <laughs> I like this one. Um, the associate minister unveiled <clears throat> the church's new giving slogan last Sunday. I upped my pledge, up yours. Remember in prayer the many who are sick of our church and our community. <laughs> My favorite is the class on prophecy has been canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. <laughs> yeah, the church, if we're not careful, we can be really unclear, and that will lead to humorous realities, right? But in other cases, when we're unclear, it can re really lead to some dangerous premises, and if we can be honest as the church, sometimes we, as the church, have been so focused on what happens after people die that we don't pay any attention to the life they're living now. Author Scott McKnight warns us that the church suffers when it treats humans as souls made for eternity instead of whole persons made for now and eternity. I want to draw your attention to John chapter 10 this morning as we get started. You can follow along in your notes or on the screens. If you're in the Bible app and you go to the events section, you can also follow along the notes there. In John chapter 10, Jesus uh, uses an illustration to help uh, the disciples understand a larger concept that he's trying to explain. And he says these words, those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were what? Thieves and what? Robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. And those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find pastures. And then in verse 10, he says this, The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. My purpose, Jesus says, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. When we think about Christmas and we think about Jesus being born and why he was born, I, I think it's important for us to acknowledge that Jesus came to give us life, eternal life and an abundant life. He came to do both. He didn't come to just do one. He came to do both. And the words that he uses here in John chapter 10 are particularly um, 
uh, thought-provoking words. They're very graphic words. He describes the devil as a thief, which implies deception and trickery. He's talking about a robber who would uh, imply violence uh, and, and destruction. And make no mistake, the enemy of our soul would seek to destroy, to take away our life, and yet Jesus came to give us life. He came to give us eternal life and the abundant life, a satisfied life enjoyed by those who would submit to Jesus' care. In fact, as we consider it, the abundant life is this life about contentment, and contentment is easy for us to dismiss during Christmas, isn't it? Christmas is a time, we've talked about it through this series, Christmas is a time of excess, right? Like, I'm going to have one cookie, I might have 17 cookies. We're going we're gonna to decorate, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make lists, we're going to exchange gifts, and we're going to have this moment where it's going to feel very excessive. And yet Jesus came to give us a life that would be both our eternal life, but also the abundant life of contentment here on this earth. The abundant life is all about this life of contentment. And so it isn't about necessarily living a long life. That's not promised to us. The abundant life isn't about an easy or a comfortable life. Lord knows that's not promised to us, right? It's not necessarily about having a lot of material possessions or things or riches or finances or property. The abundant life is a life of satisfaction and contentment in who Jesus is. It's about being content in the person of Jesus Christ. I started off by saying a lot of times we can dismiss the fact that Jesus came not just for our eternity, but also for our present day. Jesus taught us to pray for our daily bread and for our sins to be forgiven in the same prayer. And so the good news of the kingdom is for anyone in dire need of God. Jesus came to bring good news to everyone. We read in the New Testament that he came to the poor he came to the beggar. He came to the destitute. He came to the prostitute. He came to the tax collector. He came to the low of the lows. He came to those who would have no hope on their own. Jesus came to all of us. The Apostle Paul reminds us that he set aside his infinite riches and was born into the lowest circumstances so that you and I might get grain, get, gain great riches through his humble beginnings. So what does this mean? It means that Jesus gave up the glory of heavens to be born in a skin, sin-scarred world. I read this quote in a book I'm reading, and it said this, Jesus entered our poverty so we could no longer be poor. 2 Corinthians describes it this way, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The priceless gift of a restored relationship with God and others is now offered to those who could never afford it. The outrageous wealth of his righteousness is credited to those who don't deserve it. And to those of us who are very poor, this is good news, isn't it? And yet on Christmas, we have to ask the question, 
Is the good news still relevant news? Can Christmas still change the world? Now, I believe that we believe it can, because that's why we're here. That's why we're worshiping on Christmas Eve. But how can Christmas change the world? How exactly does that happen? How can Christmas and the way we celebrate it still change the world? Well, I would begin with this premise that Christmas is our turn to love as we have been loved. You see, in practical terms, our, must, our love must include caring for those that are less fortunate than our, uh, ourselves. You see, over and over in the New Testament, we see Jesus teaching that God is on the side of the impoverished when no one else is. In fact, throughout the Gospels, he raises the status of those that the world would mistreat or marginalize. He raises the status of those who are poor or those who have been cast out, those who have been marginalized by society, the leper who has a disease, the woman with issue who has the blood issue who's cast away from society, the one who has a job that's less desirable, the one who's from a country that's less desirable. Every single time in the Gospels, we see Jesus going out, out of his way in order to include people in the Gospel. I love the book of John because as you read through the book of John, at the very beginning of John, we see the, the, the greatest verse we talked about last week in John 3 and 16. And in John 3 and verse 16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever, right? We're all included in whoever. You know what happens through the rest of the book of John? Not only does Jesus say it out loud, the rest of the book of John is him displaying it. He tells Nicodemus, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. And in John chapter 4, you know who he's talking to? He's talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan, who couldn't come at the normal times, who came in the heat of the day. He said it in chapter 3, and he displays it in chapter 4. All through the rest of the book of John, he goes, and he goes out of his way to make sure that people are included in the gospel. And Christmas is our opportunity to love as we have been loved. John 13, Jesus says this, So now I'm giving you... A new commandment. Now, this, the ancient Greek word used here implies freshness. It's the opposite of something that's worn or tired or used. It isn't that this commandment was just invented when Jesus said it, but it's presented in this new way. He says, here's the new commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We might have thought that the new commandment was for us to love Jesus in an outstanding way. Instead, Jesus directs them and us to love one another in a special way where there's the presence of love among the followers of Jesus Christ. Love was newly defined for his followers. Jesus said that loving love would be the identifying mark of his disciples. Um, how would you identify a follower of Jesus Christ today? Well, we might say, well, uh, if they have Christmas lights on their home, they, they, they might be following Jesus. If they have a tree, if they have 
Um, I really want one of those little uh, wooden manger scenes in front of my home. I think those are really cool. I think those probably indicate um, if you are, um, um, if you, um, if you're appropriately dressed for the holidays and you have appropriate amount of holiday cheer, if you sing all the right Christmas carols, if you do all this stuff, and we might say, well, those would be indications that those people would be following Jesus. And here, Jesus clearly explains that the identifying part of being a follower of Jesus is not so much how festive you are during Christmas, it's your ability to love others. It's your ability to love others. So we're going to go to Matthew 25, and I'll be honest, I, um, this is not a normal Christmas Eve passage. Up until this moment, you probably have said, yep, I'm with you, I believe it, let's pray, let's go. Matthew 25 is a difficult passage, but I think it's important for us on this Christmas, as we seek to unwrap Christmas, as we seek to get to the heart of it. Matthew 25 and verse 34, it begins this way. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when? Everyone say, when? when? Now say it like you're ready for Christmas dinner. Say, when? when? Did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in person and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. What's interesting here is the charge levied against the right or the left in this, in this passage doesn't describe any obvious moral violation, but their, moral, but their violation in, in this passage was their indifferent attitude. Their indifference sealed their doom. And throughout this chapter, the point would have been emphasized, the price of indifference is too high to pay for a follower of Jesus Christ. 
We cannot afford to be indifferent towards Jesus and his return. We can't be af- uh, afraid, uh, afford to be indifferent towards the Holy Spirit who makes us ready for the service in Christ. We can't afford to be indifferent towards the resources that God has given us. We can't afford to be indifferent towards the needy people that are all around. We can't afford to be indifferent towards the last of humanity who will stand in the judgment. And at Christmas, one of the things that should distinguish a Christ follower is the love that reaches out to the hungry, the thirsty, the sick, the imprisoned. There is a close connection between how we treat each other and how we treat God. God takes these acts of love or moments of rejection very personally. And why wouldn't he? Jesus himself didn't have material possessions. He chose to be born into poverty of a family struggling beneath the heel of the imperial Rome. And yet in this passage, what he is forcing us to consider is this. Are you being indifferent with the resources and opportunities God has given you? And so church, I ask myself, I ask us, are we being indifferent to the, with the resources or the opportunities being presented to us? Do you, did you hear the language that Jesus used there? He said, um, when you rejected them, you rejected me. What goes through your heart when you're challenged to part with some of the resources that you have? What goes through your heart when you're challenged to uh, extend something to someone less fortunate than yourself? Because the distinguishing mark of being a Christian will be how we love our brothers and sisters. Christmas is a difficult time for us to wrap around generosity because it can feel like we're being generous everywhere we go. With the number of presents we might give or receive, and the spirit of generosity can be clouded because we're being generous with people in a transactional way. Whether we like to believe it or not, we buy presents because we receive them sometimes. We're generous because someone is generous to us. And what this passage is asking us to consider is if you're a follower of the king, if you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are his, there will be opportunities in our life to feed, to provide water, to provide shelter, to provide all these opportunities. And Jesus is saying, man, when you do it for the least of these, it is as if you're doing it for me. And we love that portion. And at the end of Matthew 25 says this, when you reject those opportunities, it is as if you're rejecting me. There's a close connection between how we treat each other and how we treat God. There's an author, Scott Bessiker, and he suggests this, that the very first statement Jesus ever voiced about his concern for the poor, oppressed, or marginalized people was when he cried out as one of them, Eyes shut tight, mouth open wide, wailing and kicking as a baby. It was one of the most profound acts of solidarity with the poor he could ever make. So we cannot allow the broken and the vulnerable to become also invisible, which brings us back to how Christmas can still change the world. You think about these verses in Matthew 25 and the act of giving someone eat uh, food or drink or welcoming them or clothing them or visiting them. These are all really simple acts of service being described. And yet simple as they might be, 
to those who would receive those matters in their moment of need, it matters very much. And so at Christmas, one of the things that should distinguish us as a follower is a love that reaches out to the marginalized and to the forgotten. Over and over again, we see Jesus teaching that he is on the side of the impoverished. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to do the same, to lavishly love the poor, the hurting, the lonely, the people in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our cities, and around the world. And when God's people serve in humble, generous ways, the story of Jesus is told over and over and over and over again. And through our actions and words, people will be reminded that they are loved by the creator of the universe and he has not forgotten them. We would radically love others because we have personally experienced the radical love of God. And that changes hearts and it should change the way we celebrate Christmas because when we show up and love in the name of God, God also shows up. As a church family, I don't know if you know this about me, um, but I'm a big Laker fan. Like I don't, okay. Um, And as a Laker fan... It's a blessed, blessed thing. It really is. Um, I have a lot to be grateful for. From time to time, um, as a Laker fan, I, uh, I might wear a Laker hat. Right? Because I like the Lakers. Um, I might even wear Laker socks. Only on special occasions. These are the socks I wore on my wedding day. Because <laughs> I'm a Laker fan. And part of being a fan, you say, Daniel, why would you wear these things? Do you have good taste or are you just crazy? <laughs> one out of two. I'll let you choose which one. Part of being a Laker fan, or a fan of anything really, is from time to time you adorn yourself with things that reveal your fandom, Right? Some of you are less fortunate and have other colors that you're fans of. Uh, And that's okay. Own it. We get to be fans of different things, and at different times of the year, we get to display how we're fans of these, uh, these things. And so we become fans, and we display them. And so when someone sees you in your attire, they will make, a, they will make some assessments about who you are based on your fandom, right? Based on your fandom, they will draw conclusions about who you are. Based on on how you represent your fanaticism, that's where the fan comes from, the word fan comes from, fanatic. Based on how you display that, people will make assumptions and draw conclusions about your fandom. And if we're not careful, we can simply be fans of Christmas. And you know what that would look like? That would look like putting lights on your house. That would look like putting a tree up. That would look like uh, coming to church on Christmas Eve. That would look like exchanging presents. All of these things reveal to the people around you that you're a fan of Christmas. And what Jesus is actually calling us to is not necessarily just to be a fan, but to be a follower of Christ. Now, here's the difference being a fan, you ever hear of a, a fair weather fan? 
I'm not one, by the way. Um, I'm a Bengal fan, after all. There's not a lot of winning happening in our franchise. A fair-weather fan means that when things are going good, you're wearing the hat, you're wearing the shirt, you're wearing the sweatshirt, right? You let everyone know. But as soon as they are not measuring up to your expectations, as soon as they let you down in some way, as soon as there's a moment that's really important to you and they don't measure up to your standard, as soon as they disappoint you just a little bit, that sweatshirt gets tucked away in the back of the closet. The t-shirt comes off and now you have switched allegiances to a different team or to no team whatsoever because the last thing you want to do is be represented by that team in a moment of disappointment, in a moment of failure, in a moment where they didn't show up in your life, in a moment where they let you down just a little bit. Do you see where I'm going right now? And to be a follower of Jesus Christ does not mean on Christmas we get to be a fan, and at Christmas we get to love people, and at Christmas we get to be generous, and at Christmas, and as soon as the calendar rolls around in 2024, we go back and we tuck away and we put all those decorations in the back of the closet, we put all of those uh, lights away, and we dim the lights, and we put away the clothes, and we Put away all the Christmas stuff. And you're just a fan of Christ at that point. What would it look like to follow him? Regardless of the moment he lets you down. Regardless of the moment he disappoints you in your eyes. But to simply follow him. And to love as Jesus loved. Regardless of the calendar to be generous regardless of the calendar. I was convicted about this going grocery shopping shopping at 7 o'clock in the morning. You know why I go grocery shopping at 7 o'clock in the morning? Because no one else is. (laughs) And I was at Winco and I forgot a couple of things. And on Friday, I, I went grocery shopping. And then on Saturday... Our Friday night, I was like, oh, man, I forgot this and this. So I told Libby, hey, I'm just going to wake up first thing on Saturday. Whenever I wake up, I'm just going to run to the grocery store. And I went to Winco, and there was like five people in the store when I was there. And I found myself really uh, cheerful and happy that no one was around. And I'm just walking around having a good old time. I went to sections I hadn't explored. And I was just like, oh, this is really nice that no one's around. And then someone from the bakery came over. Um, And I don't know what time they have to wake up to work in the bakery at a grocery store, but I know it's before I was up. And I I had this moment. I was like, Daniel, you should be really nice. Because my, my, my default is just to shut down and go and do my thing. And, and, tie, and so uh, she came over and I said, hey, what time do you wake up to get here for the bakery? I'm just curious how long it takes. And she says, well, this morning I was up at 3.15. And I was picking out donuts. And I said, I just want to say thank you for making sure I had donuts this morning. And I was not being sarcastic. I was really, and she goes, Thank you, that really means a lot. I was like, is it, is it that way every single morning? And as I was having this conversation, I was convicted of the fact that uh, if I follow Jesus and I name the name of Jesus and I, and, I, and I pledge my life to serve him and to love him, this should be my disposition all the time. I shouldn't just be a fan of Christmas. 
I should be a follower of Jesus Christ. I think, I think where Christmas gets in our way sometimes is we just allow this holiday to distract us from the person. And so on this Christmas Eve, as we consider the final Advent candle, as we consider love, Jesus is calling us to love people as he has loved us. Aren't you glad that Jesus' love for us is not seasonal? Aren't you glad it shows up every single day, every single moment, and every single turn of life? And this is how he's asking us to follow him. Not to be a fan at Christmas, but to follow him with all, the heart, with all of our hearts. This is what it means to worship a Jesus who came for our salvation. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.